Hi, and welcome back to Industrial Theory. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I am really, really honored to be interviewing my guest today, the one and only John Wolgamot, co-founder of Stone Age. I wanted to sit down and talk with him about the story of Stone Age, how we started, what their philosophy was, and what his vision for the future is. And where he sees all of this going in the industrial cleaning industry. John and his co-founder, Jerry Zink, started the company in 1979, and it's been an incredible journey as they've pivoted from mining to industrial cleaning, pivoted from rotary nozzles now to automated equipment, becoming an employee-owned company. It really, truly is a remarkable story, and I hope you enjoy this interview with John. Hang tight, and I'll be right back with him. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to have the one and only, at least the one and only I know, John Wolgama on Industrial Theory. Thanks for joining us, John. Hi, KP. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Great. All right. So we're going to talk about Stone Age today and take a walk back in time and talk about why you and your co-founder, Jerry Zink, started Stone Age. So can you give us a little bit of that story? Well, Jerry and I met... Um, doing research at the Colorado School of Mines uh, into water jet technology, a very new thing back in the 70s. And along came a company interested in trying something uh, to help them with their uranium mining problems. They thought this new water jet thing sounded like a very magic solution. And it interested us. And it sounded a lot more interesting uh, to make a tool to solve a real world problem than continuing to do the research that we were, where the end result was just a, another long paper and a request for more funding. So it sounds like a lot more fun once you moved over to Jerry's garage. So <laughs> like many entrepreneurs, that's what you did. So tell us what it was like in those early days as you and Jerry were getting started. Well, it, uh, it wasn't all great. His garage and equipment was a lot less than what we had at, at the Colorado School of Mines, but you make do with what you had. And uh, Jerry's garage was a lot bigger than mine. And then he had more tools and actually uh, a lot more skills as far as that goes. We put in some long hours, uh, designing and sourcing materials, fabricating, all, all the things that go into working through prototypes and such. And so I think for the first roughly six months, uh, I lived at Jerry's house in a spare bedroom and uh, just commuted home on weekends uh, to Denver to be with my family. And so when you were in there designing those very original tools, what were you, what were you guys thinking, right? So the first tool was designed for uranium mining, uh, which we know there was a pivot, but, but what was the philosophy uh, behind, behind your thinking of, of starting the company? What was the foundation? Well, we spent a couple, three years prior while we were doing research, trying to help out uh, in coal mining and hard rock mining, and quite frankly, uh, beating our heads against the wall, maybe a way to put it. Uh, water jets are very useful, very powerful, but rocks are awful hard, especially in hard rock mining. And so when we found the uranium industry, they were, what they were looking at was sandstone, which was a much, much easier material. Uh, Many a time we'd say, hey, this is like a knife through butter or a hot knife through butter. So it was exciting to us to actually be able to 
put to use some things that we have learned uh, trying so very hard at, at this uh, more difficult job. And now we found a material that was a lot more amenable to our technology. And so is that the, the reason behind the name Stone Age? Where did the name come from? Well, it was probably two things. One, yes, that was what was behind it was we were in mining. We were in uh, dealing with rocks or stone all of the time, mining and querying. Uh, that was the applications that we were researching. And so we thought that this taking this new technology we had and applying it to this very old, call it an age old industry of mining and such that we were sort of creating a, a new stone age, you know, going back a retro stone age. And second of all, almost the same time, there was a, a new company out causing a lot of shakeup in the computer industry called Apple. And that struck us as a pretty smart little marketing thing because that, that name stuck in your minds. And we thought maybe Stone Age would stick in our customers' minds instead of some highfalutin techie name that people would try to come up with. Or have the name Waterjet in it like everybody else or something fluid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you two always have done things differently. So it's not surprising that the name came from wanting to be just to, to differentiate yourself too. <laughs> well, and, and I guess it's follow up on that. You can imagine uh, over the years, there was some uh, pressure at times, like, do you really want to stick with that name? You know, or especially when we went into the you know, water blasting industry, it had nothing to do with that. But uh, we resisted maybe, maybe out of just inertia or lethargy. I don't know, but uh, stubbornness it has, it, it has come to pass that you know it does work it, it's, it's a pretty simple name and it is memorable yeah I remember when I first started we hired a consultant to help us diversify and he was adamant that we needed to change the name and we were adamant that we were not going to do that that's a terrible idea being <laughs> hard-headed uh, helps a lot with entrepreneurs it can get in the way sometimes but it can also help you <laughs> All right. So talk about your pivot from mining into industrial cleaning. What happened? Well, real simply, uh, it was either pivot or die. Um, other than our small uh, personal investments that we'd made in the company, we were totally supported by our customers financially. They paid for all of the R&D field testing for the first couple of years. Um, it was beneficial to them. They saw progress. They, they saw solution coming to their problems. So that was working really well until uh, uh, there had been an accident, the, the Three Mile Island nuclear plant, and th that had major repercussions. It took a little while before all of these smart people figured it out, but it totally reversed the nuclear power industry at a growth trend that everyone had predicted. That's why all the money was being thrown at the industry because they saw it as it had a big future. Well, that changed. It changed within a year. Within uh, all of our multi-billion-dollar customers, made a decision to get out of the business, and there we were, no customers, but a few debts. So then, how did you get involved in industrial cleaning? Well, there was a transition period. Uh, we had some tough times, you can imagine, financially, emotionally. We didn't really want to quit, uh, but. We needed to find something, so uh, I wouldn't call it a pivot. We more of a scratching around to find any any kind of uh, use or customer that we could work with. 
we had a viable tool. Uh, we even had a pretty darn good patent, but uh, we just needed someone to help pay for it. Um, we found some minor success with uh, some civil engineering projects, uh, putting in uh, soil anchors for was one, uh, doing some excavation work where they didn't want to have blasting maybe or some other critical stuff. A few little things here and there. Uh, we even constructed a few houses in the side of cliffs uh, for people. It kept us going, but as you can imagine, none of that really seemed scalable. It just, uh, we, we couldn't see building a business on it. It was keeping us going, but that was enough to, I guess sometimes you just gotta keep going till you find something. And well, the finding was a great, uh, our big break came uh, when we met a couple of industrial cleaning contractors at a, a water jet conference, one of the first ones. It was actually, uh, ironically, back at the Colorado School of Mines by our old boss, Fun Den Wong. He let you back in? Well, you know, no hard feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small industry or a small uh, technology group. You got to stay friendly with everybody. But that's where we met Pat DeBusk and J.D. Fry. Um, they were interested in our water jet rock drill and wondered if it could drill plastic out of uh, small diameter heat exchanger tubes. We had no idea what the hell they were talking about, but we would welcome any opportunity. So that was the beginning of a really great relationship, both commercial and personal. So after meeting Pat and, and JD, what happened? Well, we partnered up, I guess is the way to put it. They, uh, we, we took our tool down to Houston, tried it to clean some of these tubes they were talking about, and we had some, some success, um, maybe not... Uh, completely at first, but enough to encourage everyone to continue it. So uh, they wanted to have us help them uh, develop some tools. They were a young, scrappy uh, industrial company, Hydro Services, and their strategy to compete against the big boys was to out-innovate them, to, to use new and better equipment. And uh, we were the, the key to that. Um, that was their hope anyway. And, and I think in a large part it played out that way. So yeah, essentially we became uh, their R&D in terms of a new product development. So that's another pivot then because soon after that you became a manufacturing company. So how did that split happen? And, and when did you decide that this was really a scalable technology? Well, that, the key word right there, you said is scalable. The, the R&D uh, partnership with them uh, as I say, was successful in getting a lot of ideas discovered and, and getting some, some tools that were useful in the industry. Um, but there, there's a basic uh, stress between us because of our different needs, if you will say. Um, as these new tools were, were proven, there was a lot of demand for them from, from everyone that was in the industry. Uh, it, was, it was seen to be a, a real advancement Yet hydro services really didn't want these tools to be going to their competitors because that would, took away their whole reason, you know, to have a competitive advantage. So that, that, that was the stress. Uh, we saw it as, as uh, developing these tools that there was, they were very expensive because we were making so few of them for just one company, one person like that. And we knew that we could get some economy of scale if we could just start selling these things to more folks, get the cost down and, and, and get that benefit to the to the larger industry, um, and we also know that you, you can't 
keep things away from people forever. If we weren't going to supply the market, uh, it would get filled. Someone, whether they're copying us or inventing around us or whatever, but uh, it, uh, we, we didn't feel that Hydro's uh, idea of trying to keep exclusivity was going to work in the long run. So, yeah, it, it built uh, a bit over time. Maybe it was a couple of years worth of trying to work things out. Uh, I think the first little uh, bend in the relationship, they agreed to letting us sell equipment outside the U.S. That that was a, a compromise where we could get some some volume production and uh, they could still have exclusive access to their customers. But you know, the world's pretty fluid. You can imagine how how porous that uh, line became because people could buy it in Canada and the next thing you know, it would show up in Houston a week later. So uh, it, it eventually had to be worked out that it just wasn't going to be uh, the same relationship. So it, it turned into us being producers of the equipment and hydro services, still our number one customer for, for several years. Yeah. And so, you know, it's an interesting uh, journey to go from being basically an R&D arm for a company to a manufacturing company whose first market is outside of the U.S. But I think it's really set the foundation for Stone Age's, you know, being viewed as a global company. So what was that like starting out, you know, so early on and being so small and trying to figure out the international market? <laughs> well, you you imply too much that we were actually figuring anything out. <laughs> Um, we, we've had the benefit, I guess you'd call a benefit of, uh, always having, uh, the phone ring. There were, there was always been a lot of interest in our products and people wanting them. And, you know, for a couple of engineers, that's, that's all you want to hear. You know, is that someone says, Hey, make some more of these or solve this problem. So yeah, uh, I'm backing off. I'm not going to say we tried to understand anything we did other than fulfill your customers needs, take care of your customers that, uh, that's been our uh, our marketing mantra, if you will, or was in the old days. Yeah, still is these days. So that's a that's a great segue, as you and I like to call it, into talking about customer service. So you know, you you really had the products that were differentiating yourself, but this really great service as well. So what was the vision behind all of that, or was it just survival? I uh, probably survival is the closest thing, or or just you do what works and, and what works from us, you know, as I explained already, it was customers that, that, uh, supported us. Uh, they were the ones that had enticed us away from the research Institute at, at the school. Uh, and they were the ones that paid for uh, several years of, of developing products, both in the mining industry. And then as it turned out, we did almost the same thing, uh, getting into the industrial cleaning industry, uh, find customers, the people that, uh, value what you, you can bring to the table in terms of your technology and they they supported it so yeah it just got reinforced over and over again to us that that's uh, that's what you do you answer your customers needs and you will survive yeah we, we didn't have the luxury of having a grand plan or a whole big pot of money to go try a bunch of stuff and then see if it works uh, it had to work every month quite frankly or there wasn't a paycheck yeah. Yeah. And so the, the service combined with great products was a winning combination, but let's talk a little bit about the products. I mean, Stone Age has developed a lot of game-changing products for the industry. So looking back on our product development evolution, what are you most proud of? Well, 
guess there's two major aspects that, that jumped to my mind. One is we were very, very focused on, on rotary tools. Uh, that's how we got started. That's how we, I guess, thought we had an edge on everybody else. And the fact that we, we just stayed with that, uh, we knew there was a lot of improvements that could be made. We knew there was a lot of applications could be made. So we, I guess I, I take pride in the fact that we, we stuck to it, um, didn't get distracted by a lot of uh, other possibilities, if you will, because you can imagine there's engineers like to solve all kinds of problems, but we, we did have enough discipline to, to stay focused and to keep improving our core product line for several, several years. And because of that, I, we really did move the industry forward. We, uh, rotary tools did not exist when we started, um, and it has made a, a huge difference as everyone recognizes now. Jets are very powerful, very useful if you can move them quick enough, and rotary is a great way to, to move a jet around. So it, now it's almost taken for granted, but back in the early days, it was quite an uphill battle. So yeah, so having uh, I take pride in the fact that we were able to stay focused, and it paid off. The second, uh, and you played a big role in this, and that's the uh, willingness to be able to, to see beyond uh, what's working and, and see what the industry needs in the long term, and that's automation. I think this, this commitment to developing the automation is, is going to be very transformational. Um, it had been a lot easier and, and probably a lot more profitable in the short term if we would have just stayed focused on our manual tools. Uh, I think anybody would tell you that. We, we really dialed it in. We were the leaders and, and market share was just nothing but growing. And the development of automated equipment just turned out to be a lot more expensive and taken a lot longer than uh, any of us expected. But I truly believe it's going to be worth it to Stone Age in the long run and it's going to be useful or it's going to be truly uh, better for the industry in the long run as well. Yeah. in terms of safety and efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah, hopefully solving the labor problem that we are all facing now and going to face for a long time to come. Yeah, good point. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So here's the million dollar question I get asked all the time. <laughs> Why haven't we ever developed a pump? Why wasn't it part of your vision to, to build a pump? Well, that was back to my first point. Uh, the fact that we had enough... Uh, smartness, if you will, to stay focused on, on what we were good at. Uh, there were a lot of opportunities because we were jumping into a whole new uh, pool of uh, interesting things to work on. And we, and we got a lot of it. Some, actually, some of the R&D with the hydro services, they asked us to help with some valve design and some intensifier designs and different aspects. So we did a bit of it. But again, it was, it was outside at that time, our core competency, if you want to say that. I mean, there was there was so much to learn, and we, we just didn't, uh, it would have taken a lot more basic research, I think, for us to become really good at it. And now that I hear myself talking about it, another great big reason is, and the big is the key word there, pumps are big, and they're expensive. Um, the little tools we were making, you could, you could try some stuff, uh, spend hundred dollars on some stainless steel and a few other parts and then make a new tool and see if it works any better. Pumps were a big investment. You went through a, a, a big process to make any kind of changes and there were some big dollars attached to it. When you're a little company and trying to get by month to month, uh, that, that was just too big of a, a gamble, if you will, to, 
to take on. Well, and it makes sense being headquartered in Durango and being committed to Durango. I think what made us successful is that you could put a little tool in a box and make shipping make sense. Um, logistics yeah. makes sense, but shipping pumps from Durango, it would be a logistical nightmare. <laughs> it would have changed the culture dramatically. Yeah, I, I should have said that to begin with, that because that really was one of the reasons. We And we even talked to folks about it, because shipping costs in and out of Durango are, are expensive. But when you have a small uh, shoebox type tool, it doesn't cost that much. So you're very good. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard the story a lot, so <laughs> I also live one. it. Yeah. I'm now shipping big pieces of automated equipment out of Durango and it is, um, a logistical, mm, yeah, a logistical challenge is probably yeah. the best way to put it. Well, and, and now that you, you get me get the gears rolling a little bit, there was another aspect to it too. And, and the pump manufacturers were pretty well established. Uh, yeah. And there were some pretty big players, again, because of the dollars involved. That was the, the biggest aspect uh, to anyone in the industry when you're buying equipment was buying the pump. And there were very few tools uh, being offered. A few a few lances, a handguns was the most popular and, and uh, some rudimentary 3D nozzles, but there really wasn't anyone specializing in accessories as they call them. Uh, even the pump manufacturer, they would have a couple just to you know, support, give, give their customers a reason to buy these pumps. But uh, their main focus was, was the pumps. And certainly as a new upstart, we didn't want to jump in and start being seen as a competitor. It was a lot better to stake out a position of just supplying some new products, some new tools that nobody had that would help them sell more pumps. Yeah. So that way we actually made friends instead of enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit. So pump manufacturers, they're better positioned in the marketplace, uh, from a size and location standpoint, which begs the, the question, why Durango, why stay in Durango for, you know, our 40 plus years now? Well, like I said, Jerry had the biggest garage, so that's why we started here. And it was closer to our customers at first, you know, the mining industry was down in the New Mexico area. So for the first couple of years, it made plenty of good sense. Uh, for the next couple of years, when we were scratching around trying to replace uh, an industry or customers, then the mining, uh, and there was really no reason to go anywhere else we couldn't afford to anyway. So you spend enough time there kind of digging in, if you will. And then when we did get into the hydroblasting uh, industrial cleaning market, it, the only reason uh, to move would be to move down to Houston. And no disrespect, but we like Durango a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm really glad you were in Durango. I would not have been working for you if I wouldn't if you wouldn't have been in Durango. <laughs> Which I think a lot of our employees feel that way, right? It's the secret sauce that we have. Yeah, well, I, I, it, it grows on you, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's got a lot, uh, lot to say for the area where we live in terms of lifestyle and such. And we knew there'd be compromises, um, for certainly when you're farther away from your main customer base, if you will. But, you know, and, and maybe it's just uh, trying to, to come up with reasons. But I think we saw actually that it had direct, there were some positive reasons. It, it let us keep a... Um, outside view. We weren't trapped with the same old thinking. We didn't hire people from the industry for years. So that allowed us to, to come at problems in a, in a different, more creative manner, I think. And 
that that was actually useful. We didn't get caught in the traps of, of thinking that something couldn't be done because we didn't know. Um, we had, we hadn't been there. We hadn't tried these other things. So, yeah, there's some benefit to being a, a looking at a problem from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. And Stone Age is known for being a a great culture, a great place to work. How much thought forethought did you put into creating culture in the early days? Well, I can't say that there was a lot of discussion about culture when you're just trying to uh, to get by, but it was built one step at a time. Is really the when you look back on it, that's how it was. Um, as a partnership, first of all, you have to have respect for each other. Uh, it, it just doesn't work otherwise. And you, uh, you know that, I mean, especially with Jerry and I, we contribute in different ways. Uh, he had, of course, the, the mechanical genius aspects of it. And I, I was more of the jack of all trades, try to uh, provide the, the business uh, pieces that needed to go around that to, to, to make it into something valuable. So as we grew and as you hired people, you just extended that same type of thinking that, well, you brought somebody in, you, uh, you should respect the abilities that you're wanting them to bring and uh, recognize that they're not going to do everything the same way you do, but that can be a good thing. So that, I think, was the foundation of uh, a culture, if you will, is that what we found worked for us, we, we kept sharing it with each employee that came in. Yeah. And so most partnerships do fail. So it's amazing that yours and Jerry's has spanned multiple decades at this point. So besides respecting each other's strengths, is there anything else that is part of that, that specialness, that secret that you guys have? Luck. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know that I've got any secrets there, quite frankly. Uh, I think I was lucky that to come, uh, have the meeting with Jerry to, to be able to work together. We, we found how well it worked and, uh, yeah, just rode that horse. Yeah. I'm sure there were challenges along the way. Well, any, any, anybody that knows about relationships recognizes that it, their works in progress and uh, there's going to be bumps along the road. Um, but again, if you, as long as you've got that bedrock of respect and and a commonality of vision, if you will. Maybe I should put that in there. That we, we yeah, that's probably a very important thing. I've, I've read a lot since then, uh, other business people and things that what can tear them apart a lot of times, even when you have some success, is if they have a different, uh, different vision or a different uh, definition of what success is. And that's where, again, I'll just say luck comes into it, or maybe you recognize it without even understanding it, but we had the same value system that way. We, we appreciated hard work. We appreciated being able to have a good job. And the, the goal was to continue that and, and have a company that could reflect, you know, those values being, uh, being fair with people, taking care of customers, all those good bedrock type things. And by having that shared vision, I think it's allowed us to overcome any of the uh, temporary differences of opinion we have about certain things and that, you know, which is, again, it's all healthy uh, as long as you still got, you know, this, your, your eyes on the same goal. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's another good segue into uh, employee ownership. So Stone Age is an employee owned company has been for decades. How did you and Jerry come up with this idea um, and, and, and trust that it was going to be a successful endeavor? Well, again, the, the step-by-step uh, we saw, you know, with the two of us that it was um, 
motivating, I guess, to, to recognize that your efforts paid off. And so when we brought people onto the team and we always thought of it in terms of a team that everyone should get to share in those benefits. Uh, everyone's put an effort into it and, and you want to, you know, uh, you want to celebrate a win. Um, it didn't seem fair for just two people to, to be celebrating and the rest of them go, Oh, great for you. So we started profit sharing very early on, uh, it was pretty loose in the beginning, maybe just a turkey at Christmas, but uh, once, once we could get a little bit of traction, uh, we had a, a pretty robust uh, profit sharing plan and eventually got, uh, got it more formalized with a, a percentage of, of company profits. And that system has uh, stayed in place and uh, still today, and uh, it's still motivating and uh, in, in team building, I think, for everyone. In 1998, so we're talking what 18 years into it, um, we started allowing employees to buy stock in the company. And we had a formula for calculating the price that you would buy it at and sell it at. And a pretty successful program. Um, we eventually had uh, a little over 80 shareholders owning some 40% of the company. But uh, being a sub S corporation, we were limited to 100 shareholders, or still are limited. In 2015, as a solution, we adopted a, a formal ESOP, uh, Employee Stock Ownership Plan. And that was uh, the solution because uh, all the stock in the ESOP is held in a trust and counted as a single shareholder. So that way we could have an unlimited number of employees. We were already you know, up to 85 or so when we did this and we could see going over hundred pretty soon. So all of the employees can be in the stock ESOP plan and we could uh, grow forever that way employee wise. And each one of them would still be an owner. So pretty good solution. And where we're at now, uh, we anticipate that all these individual shareholders will have sold out their shares by around 2030, and it will become a completely 100% owned ESOP company. Yeah, it's been really uh, a fascinating and inspiring journey to go along with you coming in towards the end of the, you know, skin in the game uh, uh, employee ownership uh program and then moving into the ESOP, which is broad ownership and, and probably more equitable, I would say. Uh, but it really does create a, a unique culture. Uh, you know, we call it the own it mindset here. And I think it really shapes, um, you know, our company and our industry in ways that maybe not everybody understands. Like when you have employees who think and act like owners and how that translates into, the service they provide our customers and, you know, going the extra mile to get a customer what they need um, is really quite remarkable. So I'm sure that's been um, very, a, a big source of pride for you to watch as it's evolved over, you know, the past 30 plus years. Um, tell us about that. Well, you, you hit on the key thing there. It is a big source of pride. Yeah. And rewarding uh, to, to see it in action. Again, back to the uh, alignment with the partnership, that it's, it's one of the other aspects that Jerry and I shared. We share uh, a very strong belief in the capitalist system. Uh, we also believe that it's been a bit distorted by the, the people that are involved in, the, we'll say, the financial wizards that uh, complicate things uh, in, our, in our system. And it's been a detriment. Uh, 
the folks that are actually creating value, working with their hands and their minds, uh, doing things, uh, are getting shortchanged on it, and you know, and, and the money handlers are, are yeah, distorting it. So the have and have not situation that I they think is causing a lot of social unrest in our, in our country and in the world um, is uh, it's not healthy. And I think, uh, well, I know this is what one of the motivations for Jerry and I for setting up that type of ownership structure is that it fights that. And if, if, uh, if Stone Age can become a role model for how uh, entrepreneurs can uh, build a company and then have a transition to, to a broader ownership base in a much fairer, more equitable way, then that will give us the greatest reward of all. Yeah, we're creating the middle class from the middle out. And that is a uh, a great thing to be part of because trickle down clearly does not work. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And it, you know, it's more than just the the end result reward because uh, it's a day-to-day -day thing too. Being able to work with people that have the same mindset and, and, mm -hmm. and share the same goals with the, with the whole team, uh, that not only is it personally rewarding, I think it, it's definitely corporate rewarding. You, you get you get better results. Uh, you, you get folks that are engaged and they're, and they're finding ways to uh, help that customer uh, better. Uh, you get them you know, more efficient service, better service. There's just a, a myriad of ways that it, that it improves the entire uh, business experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so that leads into my next question. How do you think Stone Age is shaping the future of industrial cleaning? Now, in a real simple word, it's shaping it in a positive way. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like we led the industry for years in terms of improving the technology and, and making it more effective and safer. Um, this, this is a lot to do with the tools, right? That's, that's where the people are at. That's where they're getting hurt is out on the end. And so this transition of going from manual to automated equipment uh, that I think we are definitely spearheading, uh, it, it's going to change the industry forever and very much for the better. It's, it's, it is going to make it safer. It's going to make it more effective. And uh, because of that, it's going to be even a more used uh, technology in the future. I think that a lot of opportunities. Yeah. And so what do you see those are? What are, what are the biggest opportunities, you know, for Stone Age as a company and the industry as a whole? Wow. Get out your crystal ball and tell us what you see. <laughs> well, you know, my, my crystal ball is getting, getting a little old and cracked and a little fuzzy. Um, I, I don't have, uh, you know, the fingers on the, the pulse on the industry as much as I may have used to. But what I've seen is that the development of, of water jet technology and in, in the industrial cleaning very much been just a, a problem solving one step at a time. And it's never had a, a, a real uh, overview as far as what it could be done. It was, it was always limited pretty much by the, the people that were just applying it. Uh, and uh, no disrespect, but in the industrial uh, contractor world, it, it, pretty tough when most of their jobs are just given on a time and material basis, you know, get it done fast, get it done cheap. And I think there's going to be a, there, uh, there will be a shift uh, in, in thinking by the, uh, the asset owners, you know, the plants that are needing this technology to realize that it isn't just 
faster and cheaper. Uh, they really need things done safer and, and better. And that's going to mean uh, more specialized equipment, uh, equipment that's going to get the, the, the job done, you know, faster and safer. It may cost a little more up front, but the, the savings, maybe you can't see it in the, the one job, but over time, um, or the improvement to their processes in their plant, there's going to be a big, big payback there. And I think Stone Age is going to play a huge role in providing that uh, new generation of equipment, that next generation of equipment that's going to be smarter equipment and better equipment. Yeah. So it's been quite a journey of this almost uh, for what, 42 years we're coming up on. So looking back, what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned? Biggest lesson that I've learned? Uh, you mean about business? <laughs> yeah, about business. It's about business. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you've had some life lessons along there too, but about business. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have any real pearls of wisdom there other than what I've already said, KP. It's staying in touch with your customers, um, you know, finding finding what their needs are and compare them to your capabilities, <laughs> finding where they intersect, uh, where, where, you know, where some real value can come out of, and then, and then maximize your ability to, to deliver on fulfilling those needs. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, I'm not, uh, can't make it too more complicated again, because just on our experience, that's, that's what's worked. Is, yeah. Uh, defining those customer needs, that you can work with and then figuring out every day how to do it better uh, and more efficient and get into the future with your customer. Yeah. Simple, but just not easy. <laughs> hey, it was easy. Anybody could do it. What fun would there be if there was, if it was yeah. too easy? No, it has been a great journey, hasn't it? I mean, it's so, ex there, so many times over the years, I can remember talking to people with you know, different, uh, folks in different disciplines and everyone in the industry, I don't care who it is, uh, recognizes that it is not cut and dry. You know, it's just not designing the same old type of bridge or the same old wheel to go on a automobile or something. It's every day there's a new challenge, a new uh, way to stretch your mind. And, and it's, it's a great industry to be involved in because it, and maybe because we were so much in the beginning of its evolution, but it's, it, uh, it allowed a lot of opportunity for growth and yeah. uh, keep you from getting bored. That's for sure. People ask me all the time, how did you get into this industry? Was it on purpose? I'm like, no, I imagined I would be doing something much more glamorous than this. But I think, um, I think you summed it up exactly. It's exactly the, what, the reason why I love it so much is that every day my, my mind is challenged. I'm never bored. I'm always trying to solve a new problem, whether it's a people problem or a customer problem or a technical problem. There's just not a better sandbox <laughs> to be playing yeah. in. Well, it's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, we're in a, a niche industry, let's face it. I mean, it's just, it's not, uh, it's not on everyone's mind. Uh, there's not a, it's not even a huge market in terms of you know, billions of dollars or anything. It's not, so it, it's niche. And it, so sometimes it seems like we're, I don't know, uh, inventing things that are on our own. Why nobody else done this before, but it, on the flip side, there's not as much competition. You know, we don't have to get into that same old uh, race to the bottom dollar thing or something. There's just so much opportunity to create, new valuable things all the time, um, and not have to compete on 
some of the you know, coarser business aspects of, uh, that are out there. So yeah. it's been very rewarding in that sense. I think we, and as you know it, uh, we, we make a lot of customers happy with mm -hmm. what we can bring to the table. Yeah. And we make a lot of consumers happy, even though it's a niche industry and it's not huge and it's not well-known, it touches everything we use in life. <laughs> and I think that's what people don't understand. Industrial cleaning contractors are cleaning the plants that make the things that we cannot live without. <laughs> and so we are a very important part of the overall chain. Uh, and I think that's a, an important story to get out there because our industry isn't looked at, uh, as a craft or, or something that's important, right? Get it done as fast as you can get out of here, do it for as low cost as possible, but boy, I don't think the world would turn for long if it weren't for industrial cleaning. Well, and I think you also just made a case for my optimism for what the future can hold, because I, I do think that this technology will grow into that. People will, uh, recognize that it, it's, it's a key aspect to their production, whatever it is, whether it's plastics or automobiles or, or rocket ships. But uh, this, this technology is extremely useful and, and can be optimized far, far better than it is right now. Yeah. Hey, it's a dirty world. Somebody's got to clean it. So it might as well be us. <laughs> Great tagline. You ought to get into marketing. They try to recruit me all the time. <laughs> uh, John, this has been such a fun interview. Thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing the Stone Age story and your, your vision and your philosophy. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed it and continually enjoy working with you. Ditto. Let's keep it up. Thank you. All, all right. right. Hang tight. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview. He's such a generous and amazing human being. I just adore John. And, uh, and I hope you got some insight on the reason why he and Jerry created Stone Age. So with that, I will leave you until our next episode. I hope you have a very safe and productive week. Thank you.